The Seattle Seahawks, only a few short years ago, were looked at as a young team that appeared poised to rip off a string of Super Bowl appearances and victories over the course of the next decade, perhaps even replacing the Patriots as the next NFL dynasty. Having a franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson, one of the very best defenses in the league loaded with talent, as well as one of the better head coaches in Pete Carroll, the sky seemed to be the limit for the Seahawks. However, here we are today, now four full seasons removed from their Super Bowl victory and three full seasons past their last Super Bowl appearance, and it's looking more and more like that Seattle team that was set to be a dynasty is falling apart at the seams. The Seahawks just finished up their worst season since 2011, missing out on the playoffs for the first time since then, and now reports are this offseason could mark the end of several tenures of prominent players that most thought would be the reasons why this team would remain atop the NFL hierarchy. One of the most vocal leaders for Seattle, defensive end Michael Bennett, is reportedly being shot by the team in an effort to trade him. The three-time Pro Bowler at the end of this past season told a Tacoma newspaper that he, quote, probably won't be back next year, end quote, citing the team's likely desire to get younger and cheaper players. Now that prediction seems to have come to fruition as Brady Henderson of ESPN is reporting that Seattle is already engaged with several teams in trade talks for Bennett. The teams interested in Bennett at this point are unclear, but considering he's made three consecutive Pro Bowls and is coming off a season where he had eight and a half sacks, it seems likely that several teams would be interested in his services. The defensive lineman still has three years left on his current contract for what is pretty reasonable dollars. Next year, he's set to make a base salary of just $1.6 million. In 2019, that goes up to $6 million, and then the final year of the deal, the base salary would be $7.5 million. Seattle is in the process of trying to shed salary right now, however, which trading Bennett would help with. Or they could opt to release him, which would save them about $2.2 million against the cap for this upcoming season. Bennett isn't the only Seahawks stalwart the team is apparently ready to move on from, as all-pro cornerback Richard Sherman is also reportedly on the trade block. Sherman is perhaps the most well-known player from that Seattle defense, not just for his on-the-field play, but for his outspokenness off the field. No one represented what the Seahawks were all about more than their brash cornerback who can trash talk with the best of them and, more importantly, back it up during games. Despite all that, rumors have persisted for over a year now that the Seahawks are open to trading the four-time Pro Bowler, and this seems like the offseason to do it. Sherman has one year remaining on his contract before he hits unrestricted free agency in 2019, where this upcoming season he's scheduled to make $11 million. That's a large cap hit for any team, but considering the caliber of player Richard Sherman is, he certainly has been worth the money. The problem in dealing for him now, though, is he will be 30 at the start of next year and is coming off a torn Achilles, making it unclear if he'll be able to return to all-pro form. A team that looked like a potential trade partner when it comes to Richard Sherman is the New England Patriots, who the cornerback has had his fair share of battles with during his NFL career. It seems all but inevitable that the Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler will be leaving the team in free agency this year, especially after his benching in his past Super Bowl, which means New England will be looking to add a replacement. 
enter Richard Sherman, who I'm sure would relish the opportunity to be traded to a Super Bowl contender, though would have to curb the outspoken parts of his personality, at least temporarily, if he joined the Pats, as that's not how the organization has allowed its players to operate. So that's two key players that helped earn the Seahawks their first ever Lombardi trophy in 2014 that could very likely not be on Seattle uniforms starting next year. There's also All-Pro Safety Earl Thomas that has recently talked about considering retirement and is expected to hold out this year for a new contract. The team may not be willing to give a new deal to Thomas despite him being one of the very best safeties in the NFL as they are now trying to overhaul their roster. Last year, in Seattle's game against Dallas, Thomas, a Texas native, went up to Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett and told him, quote, if you have a chance, come and get me, end quote. That seems like a possibility as Earl Thomas's name has also recently floated in trade rumors with the threat of a holdout making Seattle perhaps more motivated to trade him. The other star Seahawks safety, Cam Chancellor, has reportedly considered retirement from football after suffering a neck injury in 2017 that ended his season. All in all, the Seattle Seahawks, as we've known it in recent years, the same guys who are known as the Legion of Boom on defense, could look entirely different to begin next football season. The constant will, of course, be quarterback Russell Wilson, who isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but Wilson may find himself in the Seahawks' locker room, not recognizing a lot of the faces that he'd grown accustomed to. Seattle seemingly has a big offseason ahead of them, and the remaking of the roster ends an era that many fans will probably feel should have been even more successful than they were. I'm Jet Stryer, and this is your home for the best quick-getting sports news, only on Anchor. It's Friday, March 2nd. All of Thursday's basketball games are wrapped up. Here is your morning after in the NBA. The Lakers dominate the Heat 131-113. Isaiah Thomas leads all scorers with a season high for him, 29 points off the bench to go with 6 assists. And Julius Randle scores 25 points and grabs 6 rebounds in LA's win. Dwayne Wade ends his night with 25 points off the bench. And rookie Bam Adebayo has a 15.10 rebound double-double also off the bench for Miami in their loss. Cleveland is defeated by Philadelphia 108-97. All five of the 76ers starters score in double figures with Joel Embiid finishing with a 17.6 assist, 14 rebound double-double, and Ben Simmons adds 18 points, 8 assists, and 9 rebounds in the victory. LeBron James scores a game-high 30 points, hands out 8 assists, and hauls in 9 rebounds. And Larry Nance Jr. has 13 points and 7 rebounds off the bench for the Cavs in the losing effort. Brooklyn is outlasted by Sacramento, 116-111 in overtime. Rookie Bogdan Bogdanovich is the game's high scorer with 23 points and 6 rebounds. And fellow rookie De'Aaron Fox scores 21 points and blocks 3 shots for the Kings in the win. Damari Carroll has a 22.10 rebound double-double. And D'Angelo Russell ends up with 15 points and 11 assists for the Nets in their loss. And the final game Thursday saw the Trailblazers take down the Timberwolves 108-99. Damian Lillard leads the contest in scoring with 35 points to go with 7 rebounds. And Al Farouk Aminu has a 10.20. 12 rebound double-double in Portland's victory. On the losing side, Carl Anthony Towns has a 34.3 block, 17 rebound double-double, and Andrew Wiggins scores 21 points and grabs 5 rebounds for Minnesota. That's the buzzer for this edition of the Morning After in the NBA. I'm Jet Stryer, and this is your home for the best quick-hitting sports news only on Anchor. 
The NFL Combine has been ongoing and will continue on through the weekend in Indianapolis as we're seeing some of the best prospects for the upcoming NFL Draft do their thing, lifting weights, running 40s, doing three-cone drills. And I don't know if anybody likes to watch that sort of stuff on TV. If you do, you know, God bless you. But for me, I just kind of look at the bullet points and see how fast people ran their 40s. I I can't really look at how many reps they did on the bench press and get interested in that. But what is something that stands out to me is something that I feel like NFL general managers get tricked into almost every single year without fail, and that is the hyping up of some player, usually a quarterback, for some ridiculous measurables that he has, and which leads to his draft stock to absolutely soar. This year, it's Wyoming's Josh Allen, and I'm going to talk more about him as the draft approaches, as he's looking like one of the top quarterbacks to potentially be taken, with Mel Kuyper even having him as his number one quarterback on the board, having him picking him to be the top overall selection. So Josh Allen, has is he's played his college football career at Wyoming, which is a Division II school, or I guess it's called Division I AA now, and he has an incredible arm. I'll give that to him. He is somebody that can absolutely chuck a football. And reports from the NFL Combine has uh, one of the performance coaches, Ryan Flaherty, saying, quote, Josh Allen has one of the most incredibly gifted arms I've seen in my life, and I've been around a lot of quarterbacks. He'll break the record miles per hour here at the Combine. He'll go high 60s. I think the record is 66 or something. I think he'll go 69, 70 miles an hour, and just wait until his pro day. He'll throw the, throw the ball 89 or 90 yards. Okay, so that's all well and good. He has a cannon of an arm. Nobody is doubting the arm of Josh Allen. And again, I don't want to get too, too detailed into him right now as I want to talk about him more as the NFL draft becomes closer and it's looking like we have a more clear picture of where he might go. But again, Josh Allen played football at Division I AA. He played against several Division I schools during his time in college and lost to every single one of them. Not only that, but he played very poorly against every single one of them. And I know football is a team sport, and some of that can be laid, blame can be laid on, you know, the team's defense or his wide receivers or his offensive line. But at the end of the day, if you are an incredibly talented and gifted quarterback, when you're playing against elite talent, you need to show that you can compete with that elite talent. And Josh Allen didn't do that anytime he played against teams. For example, this past year, he played against the University of Oregon, my alma mater, a team I watch every game for. Oregon by no means had a good defense this year. And yet, when they played Wyoming and played Josh Allen, they made him look like a Division II quarterback, basically. He was unable to do anything about an Oregon defense that really by any measure, wasn't very good. So I have a lot of concerns about Josh Allen, and I think these NFL general managers get enamored with these measurables. Oh, he can throw a ball 70 miles per hour, 80, 90 yards down the field. It's the same sort of stuff we've seen with guys in the past, like Kyle Bowler, who the Ravens drafted in the first round, or Jamarcus Russell, who the Raiders infamously took first overall, both of whom had gigantic, generationally great arms, both of whom were complete failures in the NFL. 
I really, truly believe Josh Allen is in the same mold from what I've seen in his collegiate career, especially, as I said, playing against higher-level talent. I think he's got a great arm, but when you're talking about playing in the NFL, having a great arm is not nearly enough to ensure that you're going to be a great quarterback. We've seen countless examples of that throughout the history of the game, and I think Josh Allen is going to be wowing people at the Combine with his measurables, and he is going to be disappointing the fan base of whatever team takes him. I'm Jeff Stryer, and this is your home for the best quick-hitting sports news, only on Anchor.